Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. These are the guys. So yeah. uh, Nicholas Davies, you see next to the Iran Contra exposed there. Uh, he was the foreign editor of the of the Mirror. He was part of this crew that Ari Ben Menashe put together. And there's Robert Maxwell. They created this company called Aura. They were moving weapons back and forth around the world. The guy on the I guess it's the upper left from the way I'm looking at it is is Cherbikov. He's the KGB head at the time. Maxwell and Cherbikov have a fantastic relationship, as it turns out, because he's a KGB spy. You could probably explain that pretty easily. And what Maxwell and Cherbikov land up doing is negotiating the end of the Soviet Union. Nothing less than that big, spectacular, you know, thunderous news story that happened in the late 1980s, early 90s. The end of the Soviet Union was created by a KGB agent, Robert Maxwell, and Cherbikov, the head of the KGB. So do you want to connect around what Iran-Contra was? I do feel like people need a refresher on that. Iraq invaded, or they attacked, we should say, so I guess you can call it invasion, uh, Iran in September 1980. This leads to the Iran-Iraq war. And the sort of benefactor of that war is Israel. They we're very interested in that war to continue. Like, let's have these people fight each other um, and we can try to stabilize whatever we've got to stabilize. So they had a lot of vested interest in that in that war and they openly have stated all of this. But Iran has our hostages. <laughs> Reagan made a big deal out of this, right? Um, he's, he's, coming into, he's coming into office and uh, this is the 80s, as early as the 80s, uh, Israel was pushing arms to Iran. Mm-hmm. And Iran was in a position where they had a huge stockpiles of weaponry to fight this war with Iraq, but which they got from us. But they needed parts. They needed more shit. They they needed help. Um, they they needed their military uh, shored up for this war. And we had an embargo. Like, and not only that, we were going around the rest of the world telling everybody, "Don't sell arms to Iran. Don't do business with Iran." It was all this, "No, no, no, Iran, no, Iran, bad." Don't give them arms. Terrible, terrible. So there was a huge state push on that uh, from our State Department. And then the Reagan administration didn't want to look like they were weak on the people who had the hostages. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? Mm. Reagan actually wants to, um, you know, give Iran what they need for this war, apparently. And so a deal is worked out where Israel, this is a U.S. story, by the way. This is the U.S. version of this. There's an Israeli version of this. Uh According to the U.S., uh, Reagan was very concerned about a new hostage situation. We had hostages taken by Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, A bunch of nations did. And so he wanted to be very much the hostage freer guy, right? Like, I'm the president who's strong enough to get these hostages free. I heard that before. Right. And thought that, I understand, it's a lot of echoes (laughs) in this, and thought that, and it was widely considered, okay, Iran can help with Hezbollah. If we do Iran this favor and get them the arms that they need to fight this war with Iraq, then they'll in return help free these hostages, right? Help us with Hezbollah and get these hostages out of Lebanon. This is Reagan's story that he went to the grave with this story, 
So everyone just remember this is the story, is arms for hostages, right? Mm. Well, the only way to do that was to, to, to get around all these embargoes and all the State Department stuff out there. We were telling all these other nations don't deal with Iran, which is why it was so embarrassing, the Iran-Contra thing, is to sell the arms to Israel and then Israel would get them to Iran, and they got them to Iran through our fucketeers, through mm-hmm. Khashoggi and his guy, who I cannot pronounce the name of, that you had just showed up there, right? Yeah. And that that guy was charging like a forty-one percent markup on this. This is how they make their money, right? A lot so it's of not money. Just a lot of money. It was a lot of money. It was two billion at that time. It was it was two billion dollars in nineteen eighty. Um, 81, $2 billion worth of arms going into yeah, Iran. It's a ton of money. Uh, per year, yeah. right? And he's taken a 41% markup on that? This is actually one of the That's... things that really upsets me about this whole story is these guys are getting so damn rich of, of pouring weapons into the Middle East, yeah. which lands up creating an impossible situation in the Middle East that no one can resolve, creates so much tension that it actually forces superpowers to then pour in even more weaponry into the, into the zone. So you get these endless wars. So, you know, this Epstein and this Maxwell and this Adnan yeah. and whoever else are busy what, making a mint of the death of American soldiers, basically, in the Middle East. That's exactly. Or, or other soldiers or innocent yeah. civilians. So they don't care. They're fucketeers. So this is what they're doing. But it's insane. Um, so why is, it this, it's why insane. is this allowed? It's insane. But let's let's come back to this. Yeah. So that's the U.S. story. That's what happened. We know we have people that sort of official start of all this arms uh, trading in terms of the U.S., uh, there, there are folks that track that back to 1981. Well, here's the problem with the story. The hostages that Hezbollah had in Lebanon weren't taken until 1982. So that's hard to reconcile. What do you do it? All right. Yeah. So that's the Iran part of the story yeah. that doesn't doesn't pass the smell test yeah. at all. Um, and, and by the way, all this stuff is going down and Reagan involved in all of these things and HW involved in all these meetings and sh- blah, blah, blah. The Secretary of Defense, was it Defense or State at the time was Casper Weinberger. State, and Casper Weinberger, just know that he's taking copious notes in these meetings. This is like Oops. John Bolton, right? Taking yeah. the, all the notes, yeah. just taking notes, taking notes. Um, and which was freaking everybody out, but he was taking his notes. Okay, so just put a pin in that. So what's the contra side of it? In 85, Ollie North shows up and he's like, hey, all this money <laughs> we've got going on, right, in this in this arms deal, in this secret arms deal to Iran. Um, and we, and they, we were making money off, there was money being made off of this. It was money being spent and money being made because um, Iran was paying. Oh yeah, lots so of money. They right. were paying for it, they were paying for it. So, you know, Ollie North comes in and was like, you know, we got this thing we want to do over the Contras, but there's this Boland Amendment that's not letting, that Congress has passed and they're not going to let us do it. So why don't we take money from this Iran, uh, Iran war and that we're making off these arms deals and we'll use that money to fund the Contras. Now, the Contras were fighting the Sandinistas who were democratically elected, however crazy all that is. It was Central American horseshit. And for whatever reason, Reagan comes into the White House on like day one, you know, pre any of this, Reagan's like, we must keep the Contras together, body and soul. He had a real hard on for the Contras. I don't know. We'll have to get into that at some other time. But so this was actually really important to Reagan is to fund the Contras and this is how, and, and to arm them. And this was how they could, this is how they could do that. Um, so that that's why a little Iran bit of uh, drugs, drug smuggling on behalf of the, right. of the CIA. That's, to that. 
that's the U.S. story of Iran-Contra. We know the we know the arms dealers that were in the middle of all that, how they were getting rich, and Jeffrey Epstein's in the middle of that. Now, the Israeli side of this story is a little bit different in terms of a chicken egg. Mm. The Israeli side of the story is that Maxwell was actually instrumental at failing. <laughs> so, and then pulling in the United States. So the Israeli side of the story, from what we can piece together, um, is that Israel reached out to the U.S., not the, you know, other way around. It wasn't the U.S. saying, hey, we want to we free these hostages that haven't been taken yet. Um, and so let's get Iran on our side. It was Israel saying, all these arms that we thought we were going to be able to arrange for Iran out of Poland, and, and they were spending their money too. There's 19, since 1980, they were putting money into this and, and uh, trying to get arms to Iran, and they just needed help. And Maxwell was working with the Soviet Union to try to get them uh, you know, lots of weapons, but there were, the Iranians had weapons that needed American weaponry, parts. It was a parts issue. Mm -hmm. And so Maxwell sort of fails on that. And then somebody, it's kind of unclear who, reaches out and to the CIA and says, okay, maybe the CIA would want to help us with this. Nice. Maybe maybe they want to get involved in this and they'll make some money. We'll make them a, we'll make them a lot of money. And, and uh, that's that side of the story. So everybody's got a different story about how it started and what it was really all about. Um, but that's Iran-Contra. Everyone's in there. Um, and then we'll come later when it actually, it gets exposed. It gets exposed in, uh, and how it gets exposed. We'll let's come back to that. Let's keep going. Eric had to go, by the way. He just uh, had to jump off. So oh, I'm so sorry. We'll have John Tower makes a reappearance here in a big way around Iran-Contra. Yeah. And we are introduced to Bill Barr officially. Right. So um, we're going to do this a little quickly now because we have to jump through some, some, some time here. But all of this sets us up to uh, a Cold War ending, which wasn't really an ending. It was sort of a faux thaw, if you want. It was sort of like a, we're going to pretend that we like America and that the, you know, the Soviet Union is going to collapse, but it wasn't really what was going on. Greg? Um, the way that it happened was Ronald Reagan um, gave a speech where he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And then the Soviet Union collapsed because Reagan said that. Isn't that right? Yes, that's exactly yeah, what that's happened. Just it was, just, it was yeah. just, a, just a quick speech, and it tumbling down yeah. came the wall. I, I think so. <laughs> I think I think that's what happened. Um, no, there was lots of things, uh, you know, thawing as you say during the 1980s. Um, glasnost and perestroika and these other words that um, they named underground clubs after in New York City <laughs> at the time. And you, Gorbachev, you um, Pravda. I put the Pravda. Yes, that's a good name um, for the club. Yeah. Um, and you had, I think, in the Soviet Union for years, these really old, sort of decrepit, moribund um, premiers. And when Gorbachev took over, I think, you know, he was a little bit younger. He, he, looked, he was like a human being. He wasn't like this crazy Soviet um, old man leader of, of uh, stereotype. And he and Reagan, I guess, got along okay, and, and they started to make these concessions. The other thing that was happening at this time was that the Soviet Union allowed the, the Jewish, um, the, the refuseniks to emigrate, to leave the Soviet Union. Right. Um, Russia has been horribly anti-Semitic since at least um, 
1888, when it was thought that the Jewish uh, community was uh, responsible for the assassination of the Tsar, and you had the pogroms and the, um, you know, the, the, the fiddler on the roof era, mm -hmm. which was horrible, um, you know, all, all throughout. So um, Jews in the Soviet Union, which didn't allow religion, it was an atheist society, wanted to emigrate, especially to Israel after 1948, and were not allowed to do so, or were limited severely about how they could emigrate. They had to renounce their, they had to be unemployed in order to leave, but to be unemployed, they faced um, problems with maybe they would get in trouble with the, and wind up in debtor's prison. There's all this stuff that was, that were obstacles. And in the eighties that, that began to, to be lessened and Jews began to emigrate and leave the Soviet Union to come to Israel and to come to the United States. And the, the mafia, um, one of the things the mafia does that's so fucking awful is that they take things which are really nice and well-meaning and they are parasites upon them. And one of the things that the mafia did in, in the Soviet Union was take this, this program where Soviet Jews were allowed to emigrate and they kind of like hopped onto that, sort of like, um, you know, they, they, they were stowaways almost mm -hmm. in this thing. Some of them were pretty much atheistic and, and maybe they had a Jewish ancestor and they would write it on the card so that they could also leave and go to Israel, get a get a passport in Israel and go on, which is what Mogilevich did. Mm -hmm. um, he left the, the Soviet Union. And it was Robert Maxwell who, who helped him with that. It, yes. It, not necessarily him personally, but for his men. Um, uh, yeah. And who all ended up landing in Trump Tower. <laughs> right. And for all of them. Properties. I mean, right. like a yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's why Donald yeah. knew. That's why he came down that escalator and said, Mexico's not sending their best. They're sending this. Because he, that's what he yeah facilitated and lived through. Um, the KGB yeah. was also sneaking their guys in there too that were connected to, right. to the organized crime as well. You know, um, Maxwell's uh, ownership of this whole period of time is fascinating because he actually yeah. had Gorbachev on his payroll. He used to fund Gorbachev, um, according to Ben Menashe. So uh, that is how Gorbachev was able to to keep his keep hold of the Communist Party, there was a lot of dissent at the time. But because of Maxwell's uh, financial support, some of which came from the United Kingdom, he was able to let uh, keep Gorbachev in power. On top of that, you've got the connection to the mob bosses, but also um, he was a big proponent of the Refusenik program. You know, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, uh, along with some other prominent names we've discussed.